It's Thursday, 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Howdy, Kristen. And welcome. How are we doing today? We're great. Welcome to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. That means it is 4 p.m. Central Standard Time on Thursday. And we've got another great episode for you. I'm missing my normal partner in crime, Miss Elizabeth. So here with me today is the normal behind-the-scenes guy, our producer, Fred McMurray. Say hello, Fred. Hello, Fred. You knew that was coming, right? That's why I'm behind-the-scenes. <laughs> <sighs> what are we talking about today, Fred? To get us kicked off, we got a good guest coming up. Well, that's weird. But in the meantime, sorry, I had to click another button. Oh, <sighs> all right. We got great podcast there, but we got a hunk, chunk of missing in the video. Sorry about that. How are we doing today? Let's do this again. Welcome to Pillars of Franchising. Fred, it's Friday Eve. I'm really happy it's Friday Eve. I think you might, you just might be. What are we talking about today, Fred? So I've been reading. I think we're talking about no before you buy. Is that what we're going to talk about? There's been a couple of things that I've actually seen in the news that have made me uh, curious and wanted to ask. Um, One was a uh, listing within Entrepreneur Entrepreneur Magazine about uh, all the costs to consider before for buying a franchise. Um, As I was looking through the list, the one that kind of, I guess, I don't know why, surprised me, because I've never really heard you or Ray talk about it, is training and support fees. Um, Ah, yeah. So enlighten me. How much should somebody be paying in a franchise for training and support fees? Well, I don't know that you can say that there's a number of what somebody should be paying because I think it depends on the franchise. Okay. First of all, how big is the franchise system that you're going into? Um, whether it's an emerging brand or maybe it's an established brand that has a lot of support. Um, that's, that's one of the things. Um, but clearly in the FCD that you review, it will talk about the training and the development that you are to receive from your franchisor. And some of those, Um, companies will say, oh, we include three to five days, and then that gets you started, but if you want to have extra training, we can come out, but you have to pay for hotel, airfare, and meals for three days or five days, or you can go to somebody else. Uh, Like with our our brand, we uh, had our Molly May training, which was included, so we went to Ann Arbor, we did our training, and then um, we got to go with another business, a mentor business, and I spent a week with them. Now, those expenses were on me. 
and I wasn't required, but it was highly recommended to do that. Um, and that was probably the best money ever spent. Um, and depending on the situation, you know, you can spend all kinds of money, very little or a lot, going in and actually working in a business with one of the mentors in the system. And again, it all depends on the way the system is set up. Um, very important in your FDD to take a look at that. Make sure that you understand um, you know, what training truly entails. Coming out of COVID, there's a lot of training uh, programs that have changed and gone to online and Zoom. Um, I'm not necessarily partial one way or another. For me as a learner, I'd rather be there or have someone with me, hands-on, hearing it, seeing it, doing it. I'm one of those kinds of learners. Um, but again, I think that just depends. So okay. good question. So the other article I wanted to ask you about, I saw in Crane Chicago Business, and it was talking about uh, equity, uh, big, big equity or, or venture capital coming into not only larger systems, like obviously Molly was, from what I, I remember, they were something and then they were bought by Dwyer and then Dwyer bought, got bought by Neighborly. So we've seen that in the Neighborly right. side of it. Um, but from what I read, even uh, smaller, very new franchisors are getting bought up by um, venture capital. So my question becomes yeah. is, if venture capital buys up all the franchises, don't they all kind of become like just shades of gray, so to speak? <laughs> well, that, that becomes the big challenge, right? And that's where um, I think it's really important when a franchisor or multiple franchisors are, are working with venture capitalists to make sure that those folks really understand what it is about the brand that they're trying to protect, what are some of the things that are really kind of strongholds of the brands, of the systems that you really can't dilute, so to speak. I mean, in most cases, not in all, but in most cases, having uh, private equity firms come in have been a big help because it tends to fuel um, a lot of kind of the, I'll call them the gaps, fill the gaps of um, smaller companies or even larger, but they maybe they have some um, financial situations or needs whether it's technology, which is huge. It's in a big company and you need technology that can be really, really expensive. A lot of times that's what PE firms will do. Um, in the case of we had, uh, um, let's see, why am I going to slaughter the name? So we're just going to say a neighborly company had a situation during COVID where they couldn't produce their systems, their closet systems, because um, one of the pieces couldn't be imported from China. So they went to Neighborly at the time, and Neighborly said, well, how are we going to fix this? So what we're going to do is we're going to manufacture it here. And they went out and they built a facility where they were able to actually manufacture the piece so that the closet systems could continue to be built throughout COVID without having to shut down an entire system and franchise. So I think those are some situations in which private equity, um, obviously having extra money for marketing, the branding piece is really important. Um, the only negative I would say is just to make sure that it's a private equity that really believes in franchising and believes in helping grow brands and um, having high levels of integrity in those brands. So, Venture capital and high levels of integrity. Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> Never mind. Um, rather than me taking us down a Hold real rabbit. <laughs> exactly. So shall we go to our guest? <laughs> 
I would love to get to our guest. Carlos, I have been waiting forever to talk to you. <laughs> our guest today, for all of you, is Mr. Carlos White of Lathrop GPM, a coast-to-coast franchising legal team. And Carlos, I wanted to have you on the show today because of the great work that you were telling Elizabeth and I about when we were down at Palm Beach Atlantic, the work that you and your team and several other teams have joined together on to help, uh, as we were calling it, the last I knew of anyway, is the Dallas Initiative. Do you care to kind of talk a little bit about that and, and anything else about you and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Very excited to be here. Love always being on platforms where we're talking about franchising. Even though franchising is not perfect, it is a very strong business model that's yeah. been very successful. And that's one of the reasons the mayor of Dallas, I must admit, uh, Mayor Eric Johnson's idea back to franchise his, the franchise initiative was taking a look at seeing what businesses tend to be more successful than others as well as how do we go about creating more of an environment so people can be more successful. The thing that I really love about franchising is what other business model or, or deal in which you have this much transparency, right? We're talking about Kristen with respect to the, the franchise disclosure document. I remember doing a lot of M&A deals. We were closed deals in 90 days, and there's no requirement to have that type of documentation, but yet still we're doing billions and billions of dollars of transactions. Wow. So I think the fact that we have the transparency is so important, and in connection with the Mayor Eric Johnson's franchise initiative, one of the things that we wanted to do is, because Dallas, like a lot of cities throughout the United States, is we feel it's a global hub. We have a lot of large franchisors, yep. a lot of diverse franchisors, whether it's quick service restaurants, whether it's business services, whether it's signage and things along those lines. Uh-huh. And we also have about 15 franchisees that have over $50 million in revenue, right? And yep. um, given that we are the fourth largest um um, Metroplex, I mean, fourth largest metro in the United States. It just was a, a natural fit with respect to why don't we start connecting the dots and creating an ecosystem that can um, just maintain, um, have bring the ecosystem about franchises actually being an entrepreneur. And while doing that, let's also increase the participation from overlooked and underserved communities with respect to how can we get them involved with respect to franchising. So that's really are the two pillars of the, uh, the, the marriage franchise initiative is A, is to kind of connect and say, hey, Dallas is an international city, and we want to be seen as one of the leaders in franchising. And yeah. number two, we also want to create opportunities for other entrepreneurs that might not be aware that franchises consist of more than just quick service restaurants. Well, and I think that's awesome. You know, when um, Elizabeth and I met you and your wife, Kiki, we talked a lot about that and being able to, you know, the great thing with franchising is that it really is an equal opportunity um, platform for people to participate in. It's a great way to open a business, become an entrepreneur, have kind of um, control of your own destiny, if you will. And what I really liked about the discussion we had was the fact that you really want to be able to go into some of these areas that have been so underrepresented. And and can you talk a little bit about why you selected that area to be your area of focus and kind of what your plan is um, in South Dallas to really help those people get to the next level in their futures? 
Yeah, with respect to the because the franchise initiative, of course, is citywide, large initiative, but we do have a specific emphasis on Southern Dallas because what we've noticed throughout the years is that Southern Dallas is more seen as a real estate play, right? Hey, there's a lot of real estate things along those lines as opposed to a place where you can actually invest and grow out potential opportunities in those particular areas. We have a lot of franchisors. Like, for instance, I represent a franchisor called Williams Chicken, right? That's a $50 million business that operates in the most destitute areas, right? And there are a lot of Williams Chickens within this particular area with respect to their businesses that can basically, just within South Dallas, because we have a million people in South Dallas, and we're not talking about the contiguous um, metros that's next to it. So you have the base. Um, you have the products and service offering. Now we just need to identify companies that have systems. We're creating franchisors as well because we do want to democratize franchising. Um, franchising is just not for large concepts. You know, there's also small concepts or regional concepts that should be created based off of that. But we also want to match up folks to let them know it's like, hey, you have Molly Mays, you have Enabling. There are opportunities in which you can be an entrepreneur and you at a less risk point coupled with the fact that it's not as capital as extensive, uh, intensive as if you do it yourself. So yeah. one of the things the South Dallas Initiative, fortunately we have Mayor Eric Johnson, um, we've had a task force on innovation a couple of years ago that kind of brought a lot of this ecosystem, financial, financing institutions, community development, financial institutions. So we already have an overlay with respect to a mission with respect to create more opportunities in Dallas and this franchise initiative plays right onto into that ecosystem. So very excited um, to recognize, like you have a lot of companies that's like, uh, they may have a government contract or things along those lines, like, hey, I can, I can scale if maybe I convert my independent business into a, a, a larger franchisor that has the systems so I can focus more on operating and getting additional contracts. Those types yeah. of things have been overlooked for years and we're excited to take full advantage of it. <clears throat> Well, and I like some of the things, you know, as, as people are listening, they're like, wait a second, what's going on? So really the overview that we had initially discussed too was being able to take a community where maybe there is money sitting there. It's for whatever reason, other people don't want to invest in those neighborhoods, right? But there are people there who could, and maybe they need a little bit of extra financial help. Maybe they need a little bit of extra training. And this initiative fits nicely because not only were you also working with some banks, but you're also working with some franchisors who have systems that are easy for people to learn, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, some of the, 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 the companies that have, you know, provided assistance and things of that nature is like Neighborly, of course, Jana, Jana King, Wingstop. So we got a lot of large franchisors that's recognized the value because as always, we all should do the right thing because that's what we should do as human beings. But okay. it doesn't hurt to have an ROI attached with, hey, you're a retail business. Here are a lot of customers. How do you break into that in the most efficient manner? And sure. have banks and institutions along those lines. And I also serve on the board of what we call the DEC, which is the Dallas Entrepreneur Center Network. And they have a large also network of folks that we can provide, you know, additional technical consistent networking opportunities and relationship building so that we really can grow this thing out to be very successful. Well, how many, I mean, you've got so many moving parts to all of this. 
I mean, every time we talk, right, and obviously I was in on the call with you and Neighborly at one point, and we were like, oh, my gosh, we have this one and this one and this one, and then we talked about you've got this bank and that bank. I mean, there's so many people. Um, how do you think you're going to be able to corral all this? Because, you know, it's kind of like once you have a good idea, everybody jumps in, and then you got to kind of say, whoa, hold on a little bit, right? Right. I wish I'd been a CEO. I know you've got, you know, experience being an executive, so it's very important. That one of the things that we have, we have so much many smart assets in Dallas, right? We have a lot of smart people. There's no sense in, in reinventing the wheel. Like, for instance, um, we have a, a franchise advisory board, and one of the, the gentlemen that's on the advisory board is a gentleman by the name of Calvin Golden. Why is that important? Because he was an African-American um, franchisee, successful franchisee owner of Wingstop, but he also helped create the first franchise program from Wingstop. And he's worked with 13 or 14 other franchisors as well and helped sell franchises. So we have that expertise to help with the operational standpoint of it. We have Williams Chicken, like I mentioned earlier, which proves up the model. It's like no matter where you locate as far as economic, you can be successful. So we have them on board. We also have our workforce czar of the city of Dallas, which is Lynn McBee. She is helping create programs with respect to what does the, what does the workforce look like, including with respect to franchise, you know, franchise. How do we create more operators like the McDonald's model? It's like, look, McDonald's is a stepping stone. It's like, look, I started off doing fries, but I might own the, the unit four or five years ago. There's other concepts. How do we develop those types of programs? So we have Lynn McBee. So we have grassroots support with respect to folks that can identify these opportunities. So it's not me alone. This is a full team environment. We just put everybody in. They Like, here's your specialty. You have the relationships. Let's work it together. Here's the grand plan. And let's go for it. So very excited about it. Arlo, I, I got to tell you, they put me on here for eye candy because I can't get a word in edgewise when Kristen gets started. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I am but, so excited and passionate about this. I mean, this is just so cool to me, and I'm so sorry, Jerry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. So, Carlos, uh, I've been a franchisee for a long time. I live, eat, and breathe franchising. I help franchisees and franchisors everywhere. This is my life. And I lived in Dallas at one point in okay. time. I've seen all the areas you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, and Kristen just touched on it. Here's some real quick notes I took from what you said. You're going to be working with franchisees uh, coming into businesses. You're going to be working with them. You're going to be working with franchisors to help find franchisees. You're going to start this. You're going to take businesses into the franchising world, existing businesses. You're working with lenders. You're working with underserved customers, and you're working with underserved or small emerging brands, franchisors. Good Lord, my friend, you have a lot on your plate, and it is all good. I'm excited about it. You got to let us know what can we all do to help you out here. No, I really thank you so much. And having someone of your voice, like um, a franchisee, someone that's been there, right? Because yeah. a lot of times I understand that's very important. Because as I said earlier, franchise is not perfect, but it's a really good business model. Um, mm -hmm. I used to, you know, I've done international deals all over, you know, the world. And I was like, you know what, why don't we just kind of, we probably can do this closest to the U.S. <laughs> if we just have a more, you know, uh, uh, you know, concerted effort. And it's just taking a model of the FDD. It's like, okay, what are the systems? What are the teams that we need in place to make this happen? So with respect to our educational component, we have what we call the franchise exchange. And that's where we meet monthly, quarterly, where we talk about things that are important with respect to franchise. Like we might have Morrow Hill, we're going to do real estate strategy. Like, for instance, like what should you be looking for with respect to a real estate to make it more, you know, to make, to put you in a position to grow and scale? We also want to have, you know, 
um, reviews on, okay, the legal aspects, legal strategy, not, not so much as like, okay, here's the FDD. You know, a lot of franchisors, you know, it's few points that they may negotiate, but you need to understand the FDD, here are their requirements, how do I structure my business so that I can grow and scale within this franchise system, right? So how do I go about raising capital? How do I go about doing my lease? How do I go about doing loans, things along those lines? And then we got the University of North Texas, Dallas, which is a, which is a very um, diverse um, institution. 80% of their students are, 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 are minority students. So we're going to start developing programming at an earlier level, right, to start introducing them to franchise, like what are the job opportunities? So we can have franchise companies come and say, have them speak to let them know that this is an industry that you should be aware of when you graduate from college. It sounds like a lot, but as everyone else is, is, is passionate about, when you have passion and drive and the right team, we, we, we can make it happen. We can't do everything, but we can help move the needle forward. So that's what we're well, trying to do. Anybody listening or watching that doesn't feel your passion is really missing <laughs> out on something here, Carlos. So I'm like Kristen in that I get excited about these things. And, uh, you know, we've all made, you know, you, look, you talk to franchisors all the time that are working with ser underserved communities and trying to get, you know, people into franchising that may not have thought about it before or maybe don't have the same opportunities that some of the rest of us do. But now you're talking about something on a more global scale rather than just down one channel. So I just want you to know this. I will help you any way I can. If you want to reconnect with us later on, because um, this is what needs to happen all over the country. I, I see you guys as uh, kind of a, a lab project, if you will, for franchising and and helping these communities out. And so me and mine, we're here to help you. I, I know that's not what we're here to interview you for, but uh, I think there ought to be other people out there listening that should be getting a hold of you saying, hey, count me in. I've got some skills. I got some experience. I got some background. I've got whatever, and I'll help sure. you. So my friend, stay in contact, will you? Absolutely, because I need all of you all's help. If you all have credibility, yes, because I want you to speak in some of the sessions. Help develop, yes, absolutely. Because yeah. to your point is the mayor, I mean, we, he operates Dallas like it's an international city as well. This is something that can be replicated. For absolutely. instance, in connection with this program, um, we're working on developing what I call is the Maynard Jackson Mayor Eric Johnson pipeline. What is that? Um, that's the pipeline between Dallas and Atlanta. Why um, Mayor Maynard Jackson? A lot of people may not realize that Maynard Jackson was considered one of the um, um, best mayors in U.S. history in Atlanta. We also believe with respect to economic inclusiveness. Hartsfield Jackson Airport is named after Maynard, Maynard Jackson. He was born in Dallas, right? So that's the connection. Dallas and Atlanta has a lot of the same type of demographics. Houston, things along those lines. So now we're developing platforms where, okay, if I am an Atlanta um, company that's looking to grow a franchise in Dallas, how do I get connected as well as vice versa? So to yeah. your point, this is something that's, this, this is a, hopefully this will be a national crusade, <laughs> international crusade that we all can work together on to make sure that it's as successful as possible because I represent a lot of startups and, 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 and small companies and I've just seen the needle with respect to a lot of times the investment goes toward I mean, no offense to venture capital and private equity, which I've done a lot of those deals, but those deals are basically predicated off of, from my experience, technology companies, right, where you got to spend so much R&D and things of that nature. Why not let's focus on some retail businesses that can generate a rate of return more quickly? That's right. That's so, right. Carlos, one point, then I'm going to turn it back to Kristen because her eyes are rolling back in her head because I've talked too long. But um, I, I just want to add this for what you just said. 
because that has been the history of, of capital. But the modern capital is recognizing the value of franchise systems. And they're not only, you know, Fred talked about them uh, engaging and uh, investing in franchisors, but we're seeing a lot of, especially smaller, less known equity capital type, mm -hmm. uh, you know, businesses coming out and they want to, they want to help franchisees or they want to be a partner with franchisees as they're putting together larger groups. And I can tell you from recent experience, they're not afraid of any brand or any, any type of category or anything. So, you know, we're going to help broaden some horizons and see if we can't get some help in those areas too. Yeah. Perfect. Well, and it also sounds like a lot of the banks, I mean, now with the SBA destroying their list of, of franchise systems that they're going to have on, you know, their top secret super list or whatever, you know, you know, all I can hope is that that means more people will have more opportunity with emerging brands. And, you know, one of the first things I, I recall saying to you when we talked about Dallas, I said, oh my gosh, I want that here in Chicago, right? Now we just have to get a mayor and then uh, we can talk about that. But I would love to see this become really a national program, international for sure. There's so many great professionals within all of these industries that if you can put them all together and everybody stay in your lane yet collectively work to the common goal i mean think about what that means not only just for franchising but for individuals who maybe are in situations who they didn't go to school they don't have a trade but they're plenty street smart they've got they've got smarts they just have never been given the opportunity and I think that that's one of the great things that I really value about franchising and about someone like you who's saying, hey, we're going to give these people a chance and we'll figure a way how to get them whatever it is they need. We talked about um, some of the businesses that include trades, right? Like where could we go with some of these trade unions even or some of the trade schools and say, hey, we've got this thing going on. We need plumbers. We need, you know, IT people. We need you know, uh, craftsmen, whatever it happens to be. And I think this is really just the very first layer of something really wonderful. Um, can you please tell, tell us just quickly, how did this whole thing get started? I mean, whose brainchild idea was this, really? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, of course, I've been working um, in the franchising space for 15 years, started my career practicing at Dale Lake Piper, right? Got very excited. But the mayor and I, we actually went to law school together, and we just kept, and we live in Dallas. And we just kept tabs. And as he was progressing, because he was a really great state representative, got a lot of laws passed. And he's a, a, a Democrat, but got a lot of laws passed because Texas is mostly Republican. That means that we can do the right thing and get things passed. Yeah. And I was telling him, it's like, wait a minute, you know, this. I'm, I'm dealing with concepts that are regional in nature that's selling for nine figures. You know, things yeah. like that. I was like, people just don't know. I mean, they're not, I was like, Lord, we're missing an opportunity as well as the franchisees are, are being successful. And he was like, you know what? That's great. Then PWC came up with a, um, I think a report back in 2016 where it went down by congressional district, how much franchises impact a particular district. And that was like 8.1 billion. So we were talking, it's like, we got to do something. It's like, absolutely, I'm a state rep. This more of a local type business. Just hold on. I'm going to run for mayor. <laughs> if we win, then we're going to roll this out. So fortunately, fast forward to 2020, and we were getting ready to roll it out, but we had the pandemic, right, and things along those lines. But now it seems like it was the perfect time to roll it out in August um, so that we can move forward. 
absolutely great being folks like you. This is this is the part. It's like we want this is inclusive, right? We want to democratize franchise, and, yeah. and that's what you need. We need folks all over the Rainbow Coalition to make that's this right. work with the goal of we. This is not, uh, you know, this is not nonprofit, right? This is for profit. <laughs> Sure. But everybody wins because I've seen too long representing small companies and emerging companies. It's like you have great operators, but they really don't know how to scale. And what we have, you know, in the market, it, you know, it's it, it just not, it doesn't work like it should. It's like, yeah. why don't we just take the franchise model yeah. and do this? Let, let's, let's try that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and let's and get, let's, I'm sorry, Jerry. Let's get some business owners in the communities that look like their communities. Right? I mean, yeah. represent. That's what it's all about. You're so right, Chris. I mean, even if you take about, just think about going back to private offering. So this is something, hopefully we can start building this up. Then we can start going to get policies about, hey, let's have carve-outs if we're raising uh, money for a franchisor that's in a certain, because to your point, it's like, look, if I'm in the community and I recognize a brand that I've been going to all the time that's very successful, why can't I have the opportunity to invest in that brand, right, through private offering? Because That's a lot right. of times the startup costs can be anywhere, you know, let's say, you know, from 50000 to, you know, you know, four or 500. We're not talking about the large yeah. service restaurant. Why can't I pool funds and become a part of this franchisee or come uh, this franchisor? And yeah. if this thing scales and grows, then you're gaining capital gain. That's how you build wealth. You build wealth through ownership and ownership, ownership equity, Capital gains and things along those lines. Those are the things that we have to also incorporate because franchising, it, it incorporates it all. That's why I like about it. And that's the kind of model that we need to just innovative thoughts. It's like, okay, let's focus more on things that win. If we can go and show it's like, look, franchise businesses tend to make more in sales, um, mm-hmm. especially in minority communities and non franchise business, we need to ask why. And then we yeah. need to implement it, right? Because it's the system. At the end of the day, the R and D we don't have to pay for it. It's the system. That's so, right. Carlos, I'm not sure you're aware of this, uh, but the International Franchise Association a couple of years ago paid for a very, very big, deep study right. about the impact of franchising on communities, about uh, the um, the uh, positive impact it has on minority communities. It showed that they were more profitable than your average standalone businesses, that they did more revenue, that they were more accessible. There's a long list of things. So there's some valuable information in there that you may want to try and tap into if you haven't so far. And then um, the last thing I would say is when you're a part of a franchise system like Kristen and I are, and you've seen this in your world too, when you go to one of our conventions or one of our educational sessions, it's a rainbow in that room. And they're not all, I mean, I can think in the great clutch world, uh, we've got an immigrant from uh, somewhere in uh, Southern Africa. We've got uh, several Indian immigrants. I mean, these are people that are first generation in this country that have gotten into franchising and they're building not only family wealth, but generational wealth through getting that first store and that first unit and then adding another one and so on. So these are living, breathing examples of what you're trying to do on a little larger scale. So lots of things out there, lots of people that can help with this. We just need to keep getting the word out. Absolutely. No one has invented it. It's just let's connect the dots, get the right people in place, connect the dots, and let's scale this you know, thing the best way that we can. So, Carlos, I'm so glad.
glad we were able to grab some time of yours today. And I want you to know that, you know, you're always welcome here on our platform to talk about this initiative. And, you know, we're going to keep tabs on you because I really want to make sure that as things change and grow, anything you need, if we can get the word out, whether it be through the podcast, whether it be through the magazine, on the blog, give us the information. We'll shoot it out across everywhere. And, um, you know, we just really appreciate the opportunity. We're just number, what, Fred, we're number one on Spotify, number three on Apple for podcasts. So, hey, I mean, that tells you something. We're moving and shaking, and we want you to be out there with us. We want to get the message out. So please keep in touch. We'll certainly be tracking you down. Um, how can somebody get in touch with you if they want to give you some information, offer up some resources, free money, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think the best way now is I've created a, a Gmail account. Um, it's it's franchise.initiative at gmail.com. Franchise.initiative at gmail.com. Yeah, we're getting ready to start rolling out some, some programming. As a matter of fact, in Dallas, we're having what we call our State of Entrepreneurship event, which is March 29th. And um, I'm interviewing a couple of well-known um, music artists that are also serial entrepreneurs that we're going to discuss more about the Maynard Jackson Franchise Initiative and things along those lines. So we're getting ready to kick off a lot of sessions and things along those lines. And hopefully by next year, we can start segmenting it by industry, right? Because awesome. just, that would be so important to have. But I really think the home service, the service, the business services are overlooked, and I think that's a great opportunity, low-lying fruit, that we really yeah. can make a difference now. So. Well, we are so excited. I can't wait to see how, hard, how high, how fast you go with this, and um, we'll have all your contact information also out there on pillarsoffranchising.com. Please give our love to your lovely wife, Tiki. I hope <laughs> you guys get some time to get away and get into the warm sunshine very soon, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again in the very near future. All right. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Since you invoked the name of Fred, a minor correction to what you said. We're, we're <laughs> okay. number one on Feedspot's top 50 franchise podcast and number okay, three on you. iTunes. I'm sorry. So just don't, don't call it in. Go from memory. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, minor communic minor correction. You invoked the Fred. So that's what happened. Now we'll go to a commercial. All right. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at FranchiseShow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have calling guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned. More coming up. And welcome back to Florida Franchising. My friend Jerry is back. Yay, it's good to see you, Kristen. It is so good to see you, Jerry. I know that you've got a lot of great stuff for us to talk about. Uh, you want to go ahead and let's just get right into it? 
let's do it. But first, Kristen, as usual, Jerry is not in an office doing this in a nice, peaceful environment. If you hear music around me or horns, once again, I'm in a vehicle, in a parking lot, uh, in between things, trying to still help franchising wherever I can. So um, I'm waiting, honestly, for the grandkids to bang on the glass and say, Grandpa, it's time for ice cream. I sent them to ice cream. They're there right now, so I don't have to deal with them. I got to deal with the sugar high when they're done. Ooh, okay then. Well, we better get started. Well, let's go. So I just got back from the IFA convention, and I uh, sat on a panel uh, that I actually put together and then got somebody to uh, facilitate, so I didn't have to do that, so I could speak. Um, and it was on the issues all franchisees and franchisors, for that matter, face regarding uh, supply chain issues and staffing. And I believe, um, I, I believe our friend Karen is going to be talking a little bit about staffing, so I'll try and, you know, just touch on that a little bit and give her some more bandwidth as, uh, you know, the show moves forward. So let's start with, um, let's start with supply chain. Yeah. This is an issue that's impacting everybody. You know, I myself have had units that have been three, four, five months late opening because yeah. something wasn't available. Right. Uh, I, have, I have dealt with products not being available that we resell. Uh, because supply chain issues are not there, shelves that are partially empty, whatever the case might be. So I've lived it. Uh, we had a lot of great conversation in, on the panel, but here's some things I can tell you. Um, first off, we don't see supply chain issues going away anytime in the near future uh, for a variety of reasons, staffing being one of them, right? If you run a production line and you're short-staffed, you're going to make less widgets uh, or less product or less desks or whatever it is for a period. So there's going to be a shortage. So we've got to be innovative. You know, out in the field, we've got to be innovative. I would say if you're building a new unit, you plan your schedule around being short something, and there's a delay of two to three months at minimum. Plan it that way. The worst case is you're surprised when it shows up. You know, when it's something related to things that need to be on your shelves, uh, you need to be careful about uh, staging things. Frankly, this is an old practice, right? You spread the products you've got out. You put more distance front to back between them. You create an image of having a lot of things rather than, you know, what you normally do. Because we call that facing do. the shelves, right? You face your shelves, I think. Oh, my staff can tell you about that. First thing Jerry does when he walks into every salon is go over and face that stuff, pull it forward, and then glare at the stylus because it should have been done already. But um, you know, we had a guy there that uh, his entire franchise system is built around basically, well, it's Frios Pops, and uh, they sell ice cream out of trucks in neighborhoods, basically. So um, he, he put it an interesting way. The vehicles that they need for their business are the same ones Amazon needs for their business. Who do you think gets access to the supply chain? Oh, no. Yeah. So he is the franchisor got uh, really creative early on and reached out to some, you know, major auto dealers around the United States and started uh, having them track good used versions of that. And so he could put them into his system, make them okay. available to people regionally so mm -hmm. that at least it's a starting point so that he can get open, get going, and then just keep their eye on this supply chain issue to buy the new one when it comes out. 
And Jerry, isn't that exactly like one of the best benefits of franchising, right? You put, you pull your resources to find what it is that you need and help get them allocated exactly where people need them. I think that's awesome. What a well, great example. Yeah, great point. And, you know, I think of food enterprises right now, and I've got several friends in that space, and the franchising world has been beneficial to them where standalone restaurants don't have the same bandwidth because, you know, a lot of these products of food service needs, um, they're, they're kind of regionally based. So there's a lot of them in one region and not very many of them in another region. And sometimes the franchisor or the distributors don't recognize that or react quick. But when you've got a franchisee in an area that has found a, you know, supplier that's got a warehouse full of hamburgers or buns or, you know, uh, paper products or whatever the case might be, and they can put that out on the, you know, the, the, the old telephone game thing that we used to have as kids, franchisees use, and they stay in contact with each other. So you put that out there and suddenly you've got franchisees from around the country buying products from that that one region that had been identified by a franchisee. So it's all about being innovative, thinking outside of the box, not getting fat, dumb, and happy, and expect that it's going to continue the way it used to be. Sure. Well, and also I think it's important that people don't panic. I mean, if, if anything, if we learned anything in COVID, if, you know, if you panic, you're going to lose. It's, it's about stepping back and saying, okay, how do we be strategic about these problems we have? Where are the resources? Again, I mean, if you're an independently owned business, it's a little trickier to find those people because everybody out there is your competitor. And if yeah. your neighbor's not your competitor so much, they're your partner. Right. And you bring up a good point with that panic thing because what many uh, franchisees and frankly, franchisors learn from us, right? As franchisees, we solve problems in the field and franchisors pick up on it and then they're doing it. So learning how to replace like products you know, in the old days, I'm speaking for franchisors here, and there'll be one out there that gets grumpy with me, but the bottom line is in the old days, franchisors wanted you to use one product to serve one need from one manufacturer. Today, they're happy if you can find a similar product that serves the same need so you can keep generating revenue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and then when it comes to staffing, you know, um, and I, I'm going to allow Karen to spend a lot more time on this, but I do want to touch on something because it was kind of the, the thing that resonated throughout the conversation about staffing. There has never been a time in history when employers need to do everything in their power to be the employer of choice. Because, you know, and I'm old, you can see the gray in my hair, and I come from an era when you just showed up for work and you put your 40 in and, you, you know, you stayed there for years. Well, that's not the world we live in anymore. So... Being the employer of choice, depending on the industry you're, you're in, may entail flexible schedules for most of your staff, not just a handful, yeah. most of your staff. Um, there's all kinds of family issues. As you know, we bought a daycare to su uh, support our staff because a lot of them are single moms. I'm not suggesting everybody buy a daycare, but maybe some uh, subsidized uh, type situations for some of your employees for daycare so that they can work more hours mm -hmm. because you may be able to pay a small pittance to help them with their daycare and make far more than that through their efforts when they're working for you. Uh, benefits, you know, take a look at your benefits and make sure uh, that you are in a position to compete, not just with people in your category, but with people across many categories. I mean, right now, we just heard this. We are having a large company in our area 
who is adding a separate, basically building a whole new building to build um, microchips. And they're going to want like a thousand new employees. And they're going to take people that are unqualified and train them. So they're going to reach into restaurants, into daycares, into hairstyling establishments all over the board. So again, we have got to be in a situation where our staff doesn't want to leave us. So what does that mean? And again, you know, as an employer, we may not like being in that situation, but you really have two options. You can stay stuck in your ways and have an ongoing, and I'm talking years maybe of staffing issues before this starts right sizing, or you can get creative, innovative, think outside the box and come up with programs that work for the employees of now, not the employees of the past. Yeah. And so I wish for all those franchisees to stay in business, to have you know great businesses where they're they're profitable, but it all comes down to the employees. So sure. that's my two cents on that. I'm sure Karen's got lots of great information beyond that, but I'll tap out for this round. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. I think what's important to remember is that sometimes it's those small upfront investments in your employees that pay huge dividends down the road. And so Absolutely. people don't be short-sighted, open the checkbook, make some smart decisions. It'll help you out in the future. Jerry, thank you again so much for all your time and extra effort that you put into the show today. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks, Kristen. Talk to you soon. Hey, franchise owners. How does your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. Thank you. Great to be back. I missed everybody. Yes, and you sound better. You look like you're rested. Finally, yeah. shaking uh, whatever it was that you had. Whew, I know. Long, long, long five, six weeks. So. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're back. So Jerry, Jerry alluded that you're going to be talking about some supply chain supply chain issues only with people. Yeah. The whole the whole people side of things, right? And and you know you know Jerry talked a lot about you know we were talking about the staffing. He spent some time speaking about, you know, even just the, you know, the, the keeping the employees, right, making sure that we're keeping them, which is such an important part of the strategy. And, you know, you don't want, you don't want that churn. And I think many times what happens is that if we don't focus enough on the, the employees that we're getting, that we're attracting, that's uh-huh. also where we'll get some of the churn, right? So where it's, yes, it's important that we're the employer of choice. We've got to be really creative in all these areas. And then we've also got to be creative and even on how who we attract and making sure that we've got a staffing strategy in place mm-hmm. um, early, early on as franchises. I mean, it's, it's a key it's a key piece to our business. Sure. So how do you go about kind of setting a strategy? I mean, 
so many people, you know, we've talked before, they make a hiring decision and they have this expectation of someone. And for whatever reason, there's just, it's just never, nobody ever seems to be good enough. Right. It, usually, do you find that it's actually the employee or sometimes it's the employer who really, the employer has this unrealistic expectation or maybe a difficult um, personality to deal with? What, what do you find most? <laughs> well, that could be a little bit of both. I mean, I've gone in, you know, and working with, with franchises, I mean, I've seen it both sides. It's, you know, it, it could, by the way, it could be the, the franchise, the franchise, you know, the franchisee who really um, has not only the, the wrong expectations, they're selecting the wrong people for the job. They're not clear on what the job is, uh-huh. right, what it entails. And then on the employee side, they're getting the wrong employee. And so then you have issues there. So that's why the first thing, and that's what we talk about it being a strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like, you know, oh, let's just go hire people. And, and many times franchisees, this is the one area where you don't get as much guidance from franchisors because of some of the regulations in place, right? They don't want to be a co-employer. And so they have to be careful what advice they give to franchisees. And so that's why it's important as a franchisee to understand, first of all, have a strategy, and part of that strategy, the first part of a strategy is, A, kind of what's your, what do you need? I mean, mm-hmm. this is kind of basic, but it's what do you really need? Right. You know, what are the different roles? What are the, I always talk about, especially when you're brand new and you're starting a franchise, what are those key roles that you know you need to have when it opens, as soon as possible? Yeah. You know, Jerry was talking about, like, the supply chain and waiting weeks. I know franchise, franchises where they've actually been, I can't open, I don't have the right staff. So it's also looking at that way ahead of time and trying to get trying to get those people in place. So that's that's sure. one thing. And that can be tricky, right? So if you're dealing with a supply chain issue and you tell somebody you're going to start in two weeks, well, then we've got a delay on product, and guess what? Two weeks now has turned into four. And a lot of times people can't wait. Right. They need to well, work because they. And so that's know. where you know when Jerry says kind of open up open up your pocketbook or your you know your wallet or whatever, that might be one where you're like, okay, I have these good people. I don't want to lose them. So yeah. let me figure out what to do. Maybe you somehow can work it out where you hire them and they help you with certain things. That's right. You can help get them on board and trained. But it's being kind of creative versus, well, nope, you got to wait a month. Well, then they're going to leave. They're not going to do that. They can't do that, right? Yeah. So, and I think the second thing is, is being very clear on the competencies, like what you want, like what's an absolute that you know you need and then what's kind of a desirable? I think too many times franchisees don't think about that. They don't think about kind of what they need. Or they just go to, well, let me look at the resumes and see who has experience, right? right. Let me just look at the experience. And I loved what Jerry said. Because so many people are now being creative with, no, let's not just look at experience. Let's get people of a like industry, right? Let's yeah. get somebody where it might be one aisle over. Even it could be someone that's not much experience, but they can be trainable. So right. really thinking creatively about these roles uh-huh. and, and, and people and how you can be creative and who you attract in these roles. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially if you need somebody who's customer-facing or customer-interacting. Um, look to people who've had that past experience. They may not be in your particular category or in your specialty, but those are skills that you can train. A lot Absolutely. of things that you can't train is or, or are how people interact with one another, their personalities, are they comfortable, you know, picking up something, hey, how are you? How's your day today? You know, not everybody has that knack. 
Exactly. Well, well, that's why even as part of the interview, it's, it's, it's trying to make sure you're looking for those things. And, and as you know, I've talked a lot about this. I'm a huge fan of assessments. Uh-huh. And even though assessments aren't the one driver, you can find out if someone's a people person, how they handle conflict, what their emotional intelligence is. Think that sometimes you can pick a little bit up when you're interviewing them, sure. but you can, you, can, you can get more information that way. I mean, uh-huh. because our people in a franchise, they're our brand ambassadors, right? They're the ones that are the face of our franchise. And so if you get the wrong people, you can, you know, again, this is a, a pretty obvious statement, but you could lose customers. You could lose people pretty quickly, but sometimes I think that's not front and center as, as an especially new franchise. You're thinking of all the logistics. I've got to do these things, right? The supplies, so if it's the building, it's all these other logistics, and that people part tends to kind of be put to the side. Yeah. And I guess I'm saying, let's take it and make it front and center as well as some of the other things. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any other points that you'd like to share with us? You know, just, I mean, a couple of the things I know a lot of people are dealing with right now, and as Jerry said, this isn't going to go away. This is, this is going to be something where it's going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. So even being creative in where we go and strategies on how we, we look for people. You know, I have a lot of people, well, I can't find anybody. Well, what are you doing? And like, well, I'm just putting, you know, just kind of putting an ad on, you know, Indeed yeah. or something. And that's great. That's wonderful. But then there's an and, you know, an and is be creative on, kind of look, you know, look to your other franchisees, because if they're in some different market area, maybe you kind of team together, you know, um, do a creative job fair with them. Um, Go to your local university. Um, Go to like some of your alumni associations, organizations. Try to think through where are people, you know, even the professional associations where you might want to hire someone from that. Kind of be thinking through and being creative even on where you go and look for someone so you're not kind of stuck. With, yeah. with kind of your same, with the same old traditional strategy. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, the one thing I've always found, and, and I didn't believe it when I very first started, you know, a brand new business owner, and I always had HR systems and specific ways that we needed to hire when I worked for a corporation. But when I was on my own, people said, listen, you just need to get your core of employees. And if you create an environment that they yeah. feel like they belong, yeah. lo and behold, they will do the hiring for you. And guess what? That is exactly what has happened over the years and all of these gals are they're like family and Mm -hmm. it's really been a gift and it's not that we don't still have to hire we do we still have to hire and we do have to be creative with the signs on the cars and you know we do hiring bonuses and all kinds of crazy stuff like everybody else has had to do um but i just think that we can't to your point just post on a job board and think that people are going to come walking in the door right and that's why you've got to know that foundation. You 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 brought it up. It's like, what's up the foundation of people that you know you need to help you drive the business? And yeah. then that's when you start adding. And I think that's a key piece. And then and then I guess last point would be that so many people don't view this. I mean, we're we're selling someone to come work for us. Yeah. Right now, yeah. they're selling themselves, and we're selling us. So when we get someone that think is really good. Too many times I think people just look at it like it's just this rope. Let me just interview these people. Let me do this. There's a little bit of, of selling and making sure they know all that, you know, and, and yes, you can have even all the benefits and, you know, you know, Jerry's talking about a flexible schedule. You've got to have all that and yeah. people buy people. Yeah. So if they're talking with you and even the people there, they're going to buy those people. Mm, I really want to come here. This boss looks pretty great. And so yeah. it's, it's making sure that you've got that into place, too, 
and that you have that people connection. That's a key piece. Very good, Karen. Thank you again for all your time this week. We appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you're back and feeling better. Thank um, you. Hopefully we'll get another great interview out of you again next week. Hopefully you're going to be here with us, aren't you? So, no, I think it's week after next, maybe. Okay. All right. Well, I will be, I will be back and it was an exciting, exciting podcast. It makes me just, I'll tell you just, first of all, I love franchising. And and I just love what's being done in Dallas. And Kristen, I'm thinking we need to do something here in Chicago, don't we? I, oh, we are right. We are so right. You know, and I know. But, you know, when you're in a in a big metropolitan city, and there's sometimes we'll just say a lot of negativity in the news and stuff. All you want to do is help, build people up, make things better. Let's get our new mayor in place, and then let's start knocking on their door. <laughs> I agree. It's a wonderful wonderful times coming ahead. So. Yes, yes. We'll just put him on the spot and invite him on the show. And say, so, let me tell you about Dallas. Exactly. Game on. All right. <laughs> Have a great week, Karen. Good to Thank see you. Thank you. You too. And we'd like to thank all of you for listening today again to another episode of Pillars of Franchising. Just a preview for you next week. We have Billy, I'm sorry, Becky. I'm going to try to say your name right, Becky. Bon Giovanni. Okay, I hope I didn't slaughter it too bad. Um, the CEO and co-founder of Care Patrol, a senior uh, services business, another franchise. So uh, please join us next week if you have time to listen to a great opportunity and yet another business that you might be interested in. Um, again, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you to our guest, Carlos White with Lathrop Law Group. As always, we appreciate our pillars of franchising mentors, Karen Kimsey Ford and Jerry Akers for their contributions today. Ray Tiller is out driving the bus. I hope you're having a great time where you are, Ray, and Laura Liss, our franchise lawyer, as well as our producers, Fred McMurray and Elizabeth Denham. I'm Kristen Shelmesty, and together we are your resource for franchising success. Another tongue twister. This has been yet another episode of Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'm <laughs> sorry.